0: You're listening to Multinew Media. This is Episode 25, Visions of Education Technologies. I'm Chase Raz, and in this episode, Christopher Woodward and I give an unbiased intro into the current politics of American education, and then proceed to talk about technologies that will make it to students in the coming decades, despite politics. Hello to everyone out there in internet land. I am Chase Raz, the host of Multinew Media, and I will be joined a little bit later by Christopher Woodward, one of our co-hosts here at Multinew Media, and today I'm just going to kind of shoot off the cuff here because we're coming back to education again, and yes, it's one of our core topics, and um, you know, we were just on education a couple of episodes, so here's why we're coming back so quickly. It's sort of unavoidable right now in the technology space. With News Corp's Amplify being written off, the entire 370 million dollar value being written off, and um, that Amplify unit up for sale, um, it's kind of hard to not talk about something like that. The idea of bringing custom-built tablets with custom-designed educational software to the masses, to the K-12 system, to the international markets... That's a big adoption of technology that we'd really be overlooking if we didn't look into whether we focused on education or not. Then we look at things like Pearson, you know, Pearson, the textbook publisher, and we look at their stock price just recently plummeting. What happens as an economy, especially a technology-heavy economy, begins to rebound? We had the worst global financial crisis that we've had in a very, very long time, or at least in in Western society we have. There was, you know, 10 years prior, 15 years prior, a major uh, Pacific um, economic problem. But in in Western culture, we've had the largest economic uh, problem we've had in a very long time, ranging from about 2008 on into the, um, maybe into the early teens in fact, I don't even really need to describe this, as if people don't know. But we take all of these factors together, and we we look at the educational space, we look at the technological space, and what we see is, bottom line, this: people are clamoring for technology, not only in their personal lives, but in education. Couple all of this with the fact that we now have a rebounding, or in some areas, a rebounded economy. Now, what does a rebounded economy do to education? Typically, it helps the K-12 through systems or the primary and secondary systems because that allows for more robust funding going into the public school systems. Now, at the university or post-secondary level, something interesting happens. We actually get declining enrollments. Now, that can be somewhat offset because with the millennial generation, we have a very large generation throughout most parts of the of the world, um, a couple of exceptions being Europe and, and a, or certain parts of Europe and a couple of other areas. But we have a very healthy generation here, at least in the United States, with the Millennials. And the Millennial generation corresponds with, uh, again, fairly sizable generations in, in other parts of the world. So that can keep enrollments artificially high. But as adults stop coming back to school to get retrained, to get reeducated, That's going to cut revenue for textbooks, that's going to cut revenue for community colleges, for universities. Now all of these institutions don't necessarily just rely on revenues directly from students. Uh, The textbook companies most likely do. But then we have questions of profit motives within education, so on and so forth. One of the main difficulties facing us right now is there are not a lot of visions for how technology should be introduced into the educational system outside of for-profit-seeking companies, uh, like we saw with News Corp. Now, there's nothing wrong with profit. There may be a few ethical dilemmas on profiting on certain parts of education, but education throughout most of the world has a very robust and healthy profit-based sector, including here in the United States. So it's it's not a profit motive, or it's not a profit issue, rather, what we need to look at is the technology itself and that's what we're gonna do within this episode we sort of did that in the last episode we're gonna we're gonna double down on that here and then in the future as we bring this topic up again as more and more issues continue to evolve within the educational industries within academia we'll look at some of the more conceptual maybe ideological aspects of how technology can specifically relate to education For now, I think that covers the basis of what we're doing here again and why this show can be very valuable to you. If you're not in the education system currently, whether as a professional or as a student, this type of content here is still very valuable to us as business people because it gives us insight. Into what types of training and what types of experiences our future workforce is going to have. Those people that you need to replace you as you move up the corporate ladder or as you begin to move out, maybe you start a business and want to sell it. Maybe you create some new division within a company and need people to staff it. The examples can go on and on. We need insight into what's happening. And it's just like that old adage. Most people say they don't mind paying the school board fee on their local property taxes because they know that a healthy school system creates educated people and that creates knowledgeable workers, a healthy economy, and so on and so forth. That's the spirit of what we're covering today. So let me go grab Christopher Woodward and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back. I'm here with Christopher Woodward. Christopher, welcome back to our show.
1: I always feel like we should play the old Welcome Back Cotter theme whenever <laughs> I return to the show.
0: Oh, before you even said that, the, uh, it popped in my head right when you started as, as soon as you said, we should play. And that's exactly what popped in my head. So uh, maybe we'll do that.
1: No, that'll be my, my theme music. I can, every superhero needs theme music, so that could be my theme music.
0: Good. That will be your theme music. So, a couple of shows ago, we talked about technology and education, and uh, we didn't want to take a look at what's in the news and go to the heavy political side of education, but since we're a technology show that has a focus, uh, at least one of our focus areas is education, wanted to kind of come back and revisit technology and education quickly um, I'll brush through sort of why we're coming back to this topic so quickly, if that's okay with you. And then maybe you can, um, you can inform us about what we have to look forward to in the future.
1: That sounds like a, almost like a plan. Like we've actually figured this out ahead of time.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe we did. So, okay, here's the non-political, political stuff that's happening, making us ask this question about what's the role of technology in in education, And we can go back 10, 20 and even more years than that back um, before uh, before the turn of the millennium and look at research that's asking the question, what type of testing is most efficient? Do do students do better when they have a written test, a computer test and bottom line, all that research, especially in the past, always said whatever people are familiar with, they do the best on. So now as we add more technology into our personal lives, it makes sense to add technology into our academic world as well. But we see out of recent news that companies like Amplify, which was I believe a subsidiary of News Corp, I know it was owned by News Corp, but Amplify um, was a $300 hundred plus plus investment into education from News Corp that has essentially at this point failed. They have written off every single dollar of that investment. And what Amplify did was they created uh, basically ruggedized classroom tablets and put assessment materials and digital curriculum on those tablets. And you and I are both educators, Christopher, and we see this from a variety of, of companies. We see this from everybody from Apple in the technology world to Google doing a little bit of this, we see the online education like Udemy and Coursera. We see the traditional textbook companies like McGraw Hill, right? Everybody seems to be clamoring for this digital curriculum and these, um, these new delivery methods, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those for, for us educators. And obviously you and I are a bit biased because, you know, we obviously embrace technology. Um, we're looking towards the future. You know we're looking towards the tools that can be used to enhance the educational experience for generations to come. So it's something that obviously, I, I can say with no reservations, we are in favor of in a big way,
0: absolutely. And so it's interesting to see the market's reaction to something like Amplify where all of this investment is practically for naught. It just didn't work out. It didn't pan out. And what the market seems to be telling us is the solution may be uh, digital, digital curriculum, um, assessment, uh, maybe even standardized testing, which I'll, I'll uh, allude to in a moment, but not too much. And e- even the adoption of technology in classrooms or moving the technology out of the classroom so that the classroom itself isn't, isn't required. All of these things are good, but getting that solution from one source doesn't seem to be the way the market wants to go. In fact, um, you know this is kind of a side story, and I'm not going to go into it. But um, Rupert Murdoch is the head of News Corp, and he was just at an education summit a while back and was was booed. I, you know, I, again, different kind of different issue, but the market's telling us that's not what they're looking for. Now, coinciding with this. We have a couple of interesting things going on. We have in the United States this No Child Left Behind Act. And we're not going to go down the political road with this act, but it's bringing up a few good questions about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Now, we're interested in all of those. As a technology show that focuses on business, media, marketing, and education, and science as an always underlying uh, concept of all of those, You have science, technology, and math all right there, where we're not so much on the engineering side, but we're definitely biased and pro-STEM. So here's what we have. We have no child left behind into this mix. It doesn't even seem like it belongs in this conversation, but sort of through a weird political mechanism, it's there, right? So we have the executive branch of the United States, President Obama, saying he wants to roll back the standardized testing of No Child Left Behind, saying that the standardized testing is too intense. But that's the entry point to understanding our interest in this topic. Standardized testing has sort of become an educational model of its own, right? So this idea of here's a standardized test or here's a dozen of them, and we're going to teach to these tests, and that's going to be a particular model of education. Other than that, we have a few different models that are in play right now that are really being explored to to focus on multimodality or the ability of people to learn in different ways. One of those is project-based learning, and project-based learning is really ripe with technology. It has technology built in to every single thing it does because without technology being part of the project, there would be no project in a STEM-related endeavor. So here's where we're at politically. The U.S. House of Representatives, um, they are wanting to eliminate some of the STEM budget from No Child Left Behind. Again, this is being brought up because not only is the president wanting to repeal part of it, the standardized testing portion, but also the U.S. Congress is working to update No Child Left Behind. Now, this was originally supposed to be done in 2007 when the original act expired But it's just now happening all these years later in 2015. So the House is cutting back on science funding, and they're trying to, not necessarily trying to, but in effect, they're eliminating STEM as a priority. Now, specifically, all of this happens by cutting the Mathematics and Science Partnerships. And that's a technical name, Mathematics and Science Partnerships. It's part of the grant structure from the Department of Education. What the U.S. House is looking to do is to cut that partnership of grants and say, right, we're not funding that anymore anymore. STEM cannot be a priority in our education system. It can be in there, just not the priority. Now, the U.S. Senate is looking into a completely different direction, and they're looking to extend science education funding, and not only that, but create a reward system and sort of a teaching core of science educators so that teachers can be recognized, um, relocated to to help out where necessary, uh, to be advanced through the education system. So here's where we're at with all of this. Standardized testing has emerged as its own model, which is a part of No Child Left Behind. Part of that's getting repealed back. There's all of this uh, interest currently in project-based learning, what's called PBL, which, uh, as I mentioned before, is hands-on tied in with technology, and also interest in things like design thinking and and all these other academic things we could go into that technology people probably don't care too much about. So here's the question. Christopher, are you ready for the question? I'm ready for the question. The question is no matter which of these models gets adopted, right? Whether we keep with standardized testing and teaching to the test and, and implementing that test on a computer. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah my, my vote is a thumbs down there as well. Whether we go to project based learning and get more hands on experience and, and the technology as part of the curriculum with instructor led or um, maybe even asynchronously video led. Uh, training, right? all of these, we could list a dozen different options here and then not even come close to exhausting the list. No matter which one of these happens, what are the technologies that we know are going to be a part of the classroom in one way, form, or fashion, no matter which model is selected?
1: Well, there's a lot of them. But before I jump into it, I have a couple of technologies specifically that I want to discuss with you and get your thoughts on. The one thing I want to mention is just kind of the caveat for for education and technology. It's the influence, the things that influence students in school. Things like feedback, things like instructional quality, direct instruction, uh, the student's disposition to learning, the class environment, the challenge of goals, peer tutoring, master learning. All of these things that currently take place in the classroom are done by educators. They're not done by devices, but almost all of them can be enabled by devices. So I always like to throw that out there because again, what we're looking at here is not devices taking over the classroom. We're talking about devices enabling the educators to reach the students in a new way and to help them learn in a new modern way for a modern world.
0: And that's so. perfect because that's where Amplify failed. It was teachers, you don't have to do your, well, okay, I'm being grossly um, simplistic here, but teachers, you don't have to do what you do anymore. Just here, the tablet will teach the kids. And that's what the market doesn't want. They, The market wants educators that have tools at their disposal. So I'm with you there. I'm with you so far.
1: So the first tool I want to talk about, uh, which I just think is really fascinating, and, and again, I, we're not doing a timeline here of when these tools are, could, could be implemented in classrooms, but the first one I want to talk about is biometrics, uh, things like eye tracking, uh, you know, facial recognition. Uh, you know, Biometrics are often, in, in our current world, associated with the security industry. It's associated with people you know, using, having the ability to authenticate who they are through fingerprints, facial recognition. We have it on phones now with the fingerprint technology. Um, But in terms of education, there actually are a few schools that are using fingerprinting to prevent truancy. Uh, Students having to check in and check out uh, of classrooms. Um, There's also been at least one example of a library that uses biometrics to borrow books, again, using the fingerprint instead of, you know, signing a card. Uh, but what I find really fascinating about this technology is the idea of eye tracking being used for teachers to understand how students are absorbing and learning content. You know, a lot of advertising companies have put millions of dollars into eye tracking technology to see how consumers respond to ads and determine what captures their attention. I feel that from a market research standpoint, this is now secondary data that can be applied to education. You know, use the technology that advertising is using, let's bring it into the classroom. Let's see how the students are responding to different stimuli in the classroom, different presentations, video versus in-person versus book learning. You know, let's use eye scanning and biometrics to determine What is the most effective way to reach a child? You know, I mean, it's the classic case of the teacher, are you paying attention? Well, now you don't have to ask, are they paying attention? We can study and find out what's grabbing their attention. I know I'm getting a little, you know, futuristic Jetsons with this one here, but I thought I'd kick it off with something that, you know, down the road could really be beneficial in building a, quote-unquote, smarter classroom.
0: Now, I don't know if you're necessarily in Elroy's classroom yet because it doesn't seem as far-fetched as it may be sounding to you as you say it, right? We, we bring up ideas and sometimes we we doubt those ideas, but I think the technology is, of course, very much there, albeit in a rudimentary sense. And you mentioned we do this in marketing already. So here's, here's my take. How are people going to utilize this technology? And, and really let me cut to the chase because I'm being kind of um, uh, I'm beating around the bush with that question what I mean is how are people going to abuse the system or rather will they abuse the system if you enable eye tracking let's say on a projector screen the question you should ask and I, and I don't think this is going to happen but the question you should ask is how are people absorbing the materials that I'm offering what I fear would happen is that people would try to force additional participation in the one delivery method chosen. right? It's it's not often that I have a student do something. I don't take this into clients as much, but with students, um, if I don't give you a video instruction, a written instruction, and maybe, if you're lucky, a diagram, right? if I don't hit at least two intelligences and two um, modalities, depending on the educational system you're using, uh, either of those terms may make sense. If I don't hit at least two of those, I'm probably not doing my job. So I'm wondering how many people might abuse that. But other than that, I think the technology is feasible. And I think it is something that would very greatly benefit educators that that have their heads on straight and are asking, what's the most effective form of delivery that I have for something? Understanding that that doesn't mean you need to cut the non-effective forms out. It gives you better data about how to target the people that your primary method isn't effective for.
1: Agreed. You know, and again, it's all building methods, and I want to bridge that into the next topic, which is something that you know we're seeing use of now, and LCD screens in classrooms. You know, going from the idea of the overhead projector, uh, you know, the blackboards, the whiteboards now. Uh, instead of overhead projectors, it's video projectors. Um, you know, people talk about smartphones, tablets, uh, LCD screens. But what I want to talk about is, you know, the next board instead of you know the whiteboard or what have you, is likely to be a giant you know touchscreen LCD screen, but one that will allow even greater interactivity. I'm talking about multi-touch LCD screens, ones that are capable of detecting and identifying multiple touch inputs from many different users or in our case many different students simultaneously.
0: Yeah you, you brought that up on our last um, episode on this but not in that level of detail and that fascinates me. Um, wh- what are some ways that you envision that technology a- able to be used?
1: Well I imagine in, in some ways obviously it could be used just like a giant tablet or a giant table on a table like structure where students can sit around it And swipe to manipulate, drag images on the screen, type notes with their on screen keyboards. Um, The idea, it would also allow students to collaborate. And here's where, again, thinking ahead, students to collaborate live, not only with their fellow students in the classroom, but maybe with peers around the world. By, you know, everybody's manipulating these virtual objects at the same time. Um, You know, there's been some studies, I know there's one. In, you know, Durham University, uh, looking at a multi-touch project about how technology can be used by school children in multiple locations and work together. And again, you go back to project-based education, the idea of collaborating through technology in the classroom will be preparing students for a future of collaborating because isn't that what we're doing today? I mean, we are literally collaborating on this show we are hundreds of miles apart right now as we're collaborating on this show. So isn't that preparing the students for the future? And again, tying back to you know, previous classes where I talked about you know, students using touch screens because they're entering a world filled with touchscreens. So the idea of you know, a multi-touch LCD screen as a learning tool in the classroom, I just think has limitless opportunities for students to learn, work, and collaborate together as a group.
0: Well, you know I'm smiling <clears throat> because you brought up remote work. <laughs> Anytime I can work remotely, I love to and I think that training the next generation for that because it's becoming more and more and more of a reality, uh an increased number of people work from home, uh at least a portion of their work week. Um traveling, I mean, we've seen travel budgets cut down even before I I got into education when I was still in the corporate world, so to speak. Um I mean we were slashing travel budgets left and right and it was kind of like can can we accomplish this thing with an email? Can we accomplish this thing with an online meeting, you know, whether it was Skype or or GoToMeeting or or Citrix or um whatever uh, or Webex. Sorry, Citrix is GoToMeeting, isn't it? Webex all all these other ones. It's it's that idea of we we sometimes make the argument that a through 12 system shouldn't be about job training, and it really shouldn't. I agree with that. But we do need to face the realities that no matter what job you get, no matter whether you are super wealthy and you know, your family is, and you don't need to work or you're going to take over the family business or whatever, you still are going to need to communicate with other people, whether it's your family, whether it's your business, whether just keep listing from there. So I, I love that idea because we, I, I'm not sure. And I voiced this concern before on the show. I'm not sure that companies and, and, um, uh, academic institutions, whether they're K through 12 or university or other, uh, maybe certificates or training. I don't think people have ado- adopted this asynchronous model enough. So not only are you not there, but you're not even lined up at the same time, but definitely um, remote working and remote learning or coordinating with people at remote locations is definitely a beautiful start to that. I love that you brought that up.
1: Oh, well, that's what I do. I try to make you happy. So that's, um,
0: that's is, Well hold on I need to rewrite the job description
1: Welcome back
0: Your dreams Were your ticket out Welcome back To that same Old place that you Laughed about Well the names have all changed Since you hung around
1: But those dreams have remained And they've turned around Who would have thought They'd age you Jack here, where we need Jack here, where we need Jack. We tease him a lot, cause we got him on the spot. Welcome back.
0: Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back.
1: back. Now, I think something that can make a lot of students happy, and this is something where at this point I think it's simply a dollars and cents issue to put this in more classrooms and that's 3D printers a 3D printer specifically one for students for children i could see this becoming the must have in classroom instead of being restricted to what students can use students in this classroom of the future could print out you know 3D models for various purposes imagine show and tell Instead of, you know, a picture, you can now do a 3D model of what you want. Uh, Engineering students, obviously, uh, and teachers themselves could benefit from 3D printing technology. Uh, There are some schools that have 3D printers, letting students, you know, design different prototypes. But just this idea of being able to work out, you know, different miniature models. um, And again, using 3D printing along with uh, computer-aided design modeling software. Um, allows them to, you know, take their abstract thoughts and use them to create real-life models. Um, Imagine being able to to reconstruct the most complex conceptual models, you know, uh, molecular structures and configurations, you know, printing out those physical versions of these structures could really help students put, put form onto you know, thoughts and processes that just maybe are too abstract to them. So I just see a 3D printer as a tool that can aid in understanding. And, and we have the technology with 3D printers. It's just a matter of, as I said earlier, dollars and cents getting them into classrooms.
0: You know, I see 3D printers out there um, quite a bit, but not necessarily in K-12 through schools. Um, you know, I see them a lot in community colleges. Uh, that's where I see them the most. So what do you think the rollout would be for something like a 3D printer? Um, I mean, obviously, we don't need to put them in, in kindergartens, right?
1: Well, uh, I, you know, eventually, I think you could. Um, obviously, they, they benefit much more when you get to secondary-level education, uh, you know, colleges, again, engineering students, you know, where there's more abstract thought and uh, there's more of an emphasis on conceptual design. But I could definitely see it working back from there to to the high school level, uh, and then eventually into the you know intermediate schools to junior highs and the elementary schools because again what is let's be perfectly blunt here not pat ourselves on the back when were our minds at their most creative peak when we thought there were no limits and we thought there were no yeah. limits when we were children
0: yeah that's um yeah i'm i'm failing as an educator right now there's a term for that and i don't remember it
1: that's
0: okay. I don't either. That's why I kind of glossed over it. So. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I and I, I, do think there would have to be a staged rollout, right? Community colleges and universities make the most sense, and then, um, you know, CAD classes and engineering classes and math classes and um, uh, and even like you mentioned, chemistry or biology. Um, and then just roll them out. Uh, does every classroom need a 3D printer? Well, maybe in the future, but not right now,
1: right? Um, well, it's, again, it's a dollars and cents thing to, too. It's not feasible to put it in every classroom right
0: now. So. No, but that you know, and especially, and let me let me be the Jetsons person today. If we can go out into the future and determine a way that the materials that are printed then can be then reclaimed by the printer for reuse, that in education would be one of the most invaluable inventions. Ever Now, we don't need to go full Star Trek Replicator or anything like that. I mean, I'm just talking simple plastics or uh, something like that. If if the components that get printed could then be recycled, now you have something that's viable for education that doesn't take a lot of inputs that when you get something wrong, you can say, all right, let's feed the machine back the, the components and, and let's try again. I think that would be a, a beautiful thing. So someone out there, Someone in the engineering world can think of, you know, using nanotechnology or um, any other part of engineering can think, hey, you know, we could print these polymers and then reclaim them. And and that right there would be so valuable for education.
1: I agree. And and again, just, you know, there's so many values. I'm trying to decide which item because I actually have enough items here. We might actually do another show on technology and education. Well,
0: don't scare the people like that. We want to keep them listening. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, no, no, come on. This is a popular topic. People like school, As, don't they? Yeah, i being facetious. <laughs> um, the, the one I want to bring up, uh, just to, to kind of tie things in a little bit, uh, and this is one that's kind of out there, cloud computing. Um, you know, again, the whole, and, and you still see this to this day, the whole, you know, my dog ate my homework kind of excuse here. Yeah, um, right. You know, the idea of using cloud computing Uh, in education is actually being really pushed in a country that a lot of people don't even think about at times, uh, but in China. They've actually installed cloud computing terminal devices in a lot of schools, uh, over, you know, several, I think 200 schools now, because their idea is that in a future classroom, students are just going to need a device to access all their homework, all their learning resources, it will all be in the cloud, Obviously, no more textbooks, having constant access to your reading materials as long as you have a, an internet connection. Obviously, you and I both have, have worked in online education. I know the, the ups and downs of that. Yeah. You know, but the convenience to allowing students the freedom to work on projects, work on homework kind of anytime, anywhere, uh, the digital library being accessible to them, uh, to no longer, let's be honest, no longer having an acceptable excuse for not attending class.
0: Yeah, you know, of course, my hesitation here is, as we both have worked in online education and still do, uh, dog-eating your homework quickly becomes, I had a power failure, and my computer is broken and at the repair store, and, um, you know, the file was too big to upload, and it's encoded incorrectly, wrong codec, and, oh yeah, the dog peed on my USB stick. I'm a little bit... (laughs) I'm a little bit thinking that if I could get ahead of the curve at all, I would tell other educators that are looking at the cloud model, you really do need to get ahead of it um, and be extremely clear. I think that's one thing that we could improve outside of technology uh, is basically setting an expectation that if we move work, whether they're lessons, homework, assignments, activities, if we move that to the cloud, there is an expectation that, yes, there are more points of failure, but those points of failure are not going to be accepted as excuses. And I think that just has to be, an un, not even an unwritten. That has to be flat out written into the agreement. But then again, you and I uh, both have experience with um, places that it is written into the student uh, agreement, and it's still violated. So. I think that will work itself out over time as more and more people become accustomed to dealing that way. But students are always going to have excuses. Come on, I had my go-to excuses. I'm sure you had yours.
1: Um. No, I just didn't do the work and flunked and got in trouble.
0: Okay. Well, you, at least you're an honest straight shooter. That's honest what counts. To, honest
1: to a fault. That's me.
0: That's um. I would say that's good, but to the fault, to a fault point. That's uh. <laughs> I don't know um, maybe off air we'll uh, we'll teach you how to how to tell a little white lie.
1: Well what we could try but you know until next time uh, there's a lot more we could go into obviously you know things like flexible displays, use of smartphones and classes there, there's just so many
0: let's talk about the smartphones you know, and classes let's let's do that because I think that is really here and now
1: you well know, well I mean I think not only the use of smartphones and classes but just the idea of, and I think you have to break it down to, what is a smartphone? And a smartphone is really a tiny computer in your hand. It's pretty much got the processing power of a computer. That, that, that's what it has become. So when people talk about smartphones in classes, we're not necessarily referring to students who, who hide their phones under their desk and text their friends or, or something like that. Right. Or, we mean pull, pull your
0: out. cell phone out and vote in this poll or pull the cell phone out and answer these five questions while I'm giving a presentation.
1: Yeah, do research. We're not talking about, you know, take embarrassing pictures of your teacher while they're bent over, you know, at the desk or well, something. We're talking about actually using it in a I constructive mean, way. I mean, do
0: that too. It's going to tell me if I need to work my glutes more or less. Just don't make it public on social media.
1: Yeah, please don't post that on Twitter or Facebook <laughs> for the sake of all of us. Yeah. Well, There's I, just so many, and we've just totally gone into comedy now. But uh, well, no, it's, I mean, I, again, yeah. it's just so many opportunities to use this technology and. The great thing about the technology, and especially in the case of smartphones and tablets and what have you and portable electronic devices, is the price point becomes less and less of an issue as time goes on. Uh, you know, These items are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and that's what unfortunately kind of goes a long way in getting these things to happen in the education system is it's got to be cost effective.
0: What do, you, what do you think about that? So, uh, you know, we I, when I opened the show earlier today, it was talking about Amplify, the News Corp subsidiary that failed. Um, they're trying to sell off. Do you think there is a difference between form factor here? If we're talking tablet versus smartphone, when we move over to the education world, uh, you know, in business that makes a difference because I may be able to, um, you know, do things on a tablet that I can't on a phone. But does that hold as true... In education, I mean, yes, we still need to teach people how to make a presentation. But I mean, you and I teach in business at a at a at a post secondary, so um, people need to make presentations. They need to write papers at, at almost any age. Can that stuff be effectively done on a phone, or you know, are we still in this mix of I need a phone, I need a tablet, we need a uh, desktop?
1: Yeah, I I think it's 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 one of those. What they need to have, I think it's what students in, in the coming years deserve to have. They deserve to have access to these devices. They deserve to be learning on these devices because that's where their future lies. You know, again, I, I keep going back to these same points. Look at the world that they're entering. You know, These devices are what they use. I would not teach somebody... You know how to make a fire using two sticks and a rock in a world where you have a lighter in your hand. So I would not teach a student, you know, let let let's pull out a slate pen and, and a big hunk of slate to learn how to. But I can give them a tablet, and they can you know create images with their fingers.
0: You know, you've been um you've been really adamant about that topic in a good way. Uh, over the past couple years that I've known you and I I almost want to ask you and I know this is really putting you on the spot, but I would like you to go into into that more because for the people who haven't had um, the privilege of knowing you like I do, you have a very solid, unique, um, very expressive view that we should not hold technology back from children uh, or students of any age. And I think that's unique, not only as uh, a parent, which you are, as an educator, which you are, um, we we typically have so much hesitation to introducing technology to children and, and to students of any age. Um, I almost want to just have you kind of just deal, uh, or not deal with, um, have you explain to us that position because, you know, I find myself on the fence of that a lot, and then I hear you... Um, speak in favor of technology, and here, I, you know, we're both supposed to be these big technology uh, advocates, but when you say it, something just magical happens.
1: Well, I think a lot of it comes from, you know, first of all, my background and the fact that I am the son of an educator. You know, my mother was an educator of of children very young, as well as adults who taught, you know, at, at the college level, but she also taught at at, as young as nursery school age. So I've watched education grow from the time I was first introduced to it from the instructor point of view as well as a student point of view. And I have yet to hear the viable, real reason why not to have technology. And the reasons that I hear, things like you're too young for that or it's not a toy or it isn't good for them, I want to know where the real reasons are because I have yet to hear one, and I'll throw a few of them out there that I've shot down in the past. One that I've constantly heard about technology, which is ridiculous, and it's one of the old ones from the TV days. The child will get radiation poisoning from touching the screen somehow. Uh, you know, it'll make their hair fall out or, or their eyes won't, won't, won't be as good. or I mean, all of these things that go back to the days of television. You know, yeah, yeah trust me. too close to it. That device is not going to do
0: it. anything compared to what the diet um, they're being fed in the United States. I mean, the, the <laughs> food they're being fed is going to, to harm them much faster. And I mean that literally. It's going to harm them before they're an adult. The computer may strain their eyes occasionally if, if someone lets them look at it too long. But that's about it.
1: Yeah. No so the one I hear um, and I'll, I'll shoot down a couple. one uh, allowing children to use technology will make them lazy and obese. Um, you know replace tablet with television just and you're recycling the same arguments from the past. so so yeah. yes yes if you allow your child, <laughs> To use a tablet while sitting on the couch for eight hours a day, Absolutely. eating cheese puffs, it's probably not the healthiest thing for them. Of course, my counter-argument is, why would a, pa- a parent allow their child to sit on the couch for eight hours a day doing anything? Even if my child were, 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 were reading you know, the works of Stephen Hawking's, at some point, I would tell him to get off the couch and get some fresh air. Right, a child spending too much time on any Activity is most likely not healthy, but how is the technology to blame? It is the parent who needs to help their child develop healthy habits. So that's one that drives me nuts. Another, uh, that children are somehow wasting time on technology. It's the mindset that a computer, a tablet, a smartphone, any kind of device is somehow nothing more than a glorified video game system. Uh, And yes, if you're going to use your device simply for them to watch YouTube videos or to, to play some mindless you know candy crush cookie jam game. Yes, it's a time killer. But there is so much more that children can do with technology. And I'll use my own examples, my children. You know, There are games that my children have used on devices that have helped them learn shapes, colors, numbers, letters, well before they were entering into you know, kindergarten, into preschool.
0: Do you feel you know? that you were removed from that process by the use of the app?
1: Absolutely not. and enhanced it. I sat there with them. The great thing about the, the app is that it allowed them to continue to work on those areas when I wasn't present. To me, that is a benefit. The fact that my child can work on letter recognition, number recognition, colors, shapes, things like that without me standing there over their shoulder the entire time is beneficial because, as we all know, in this busy world that we live in, you can't spend every waking moment of every day with your child. So isn't it better to know that your child is reinforcing what you're teaching them using technology rather than sitting there waiting for you to have the opportunity to reinforce it again? Um, you know, And then, of course, another classic one. Uh, and, again, this goes back to technology as a tool and tools can be extremely helpful when used properly. But this one just blows my mind. The child isn't old enough to be using technology. And, And my question again, why? Because it's too expensive? Because only adults should have devices? You cannot turn back the clock. We are in a world dominated by the advances of technology. Touch screens and computers are part of our daily lives. Why should any child wait before learning how to use devices? Children are going to be using, I always bring up the ATM example, but this technology that they're learning now and using now is going to be part of their generation and all the subsequent generations for years to come. So it's silly to think that they shouldn't embrace technology early in life that will benefit them. Just like you teach any child good habits that you want them to carry forward, you teach a child to brush their teeth. You expect them to carry that habit throughout the rest of their life. You teach a child you know, not to get dirty, to be polite. Hopefully you teach a child to be polite. You teach them these things to create habits that they will carry on throughout life into adulthood. Why not teach them how to use technology? You, you teach people how to cook so they can cook the rest of their lives. Why not teach them how to use technology now that they're going to be using for the rest of their lives? Technology, from its base form provides us with advantages over previous generations. It does make life easier, more convenient, but more importantly, it makes life more efficient. It doesn't make anyone lazier. It doesn't make someone less driven to succeed. And a child will still play, will still learn, will still grow, will still develop. You know, a child should, if they have... Good parenting, which I guess is what this all boils down to here. Not to go off on, a, on another tangent, but
0: no. Well, keep going because any every time you're saying child, like you can easily substitute the word student and teacher, um, and and it's absolutely true.
1: They're still going to want to play outside, and they're still going to want to explore beyond the four corners of their tablet. Uh, you know, my children use tablets; they enjoy them, but they also love going outside and playing ball. You know, you only have a generation of couch potatoes if mom and dad let them become spuds it's that simple technology has not is not and will not ever be a threat to the development of children and students in this world the threat to the development of students and children is closed-minded thinking and is poor parenting and now I'll put my soapbox away for now
0: well and that's okay because i'm gonna i'm gonna conclude by saying you're absolutely right and Applied to the educational uh, scenario, it's, it's poor teaching, it's poor uh, administration of the teaching system, not letting teachers who are good teachers do what they do, thinking that there are certain things that have to be accomplished by individual teachers. You know, each teacher, um, if you truly are an educator, if you get that, if that bug bites you, then you know how to relate with the age group of people that you're dealing with. For you and me, it's adults. For other people, you know, you're dealing with five-year-olds, three-year-olds, twelve-year-olds. We we just happen to deal with adults uh, because that's the 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 audience that I think we we gravitate towards the most and can and best influence. Um, all of it is absolutely true, and and the idea of not putting technology into a school system or not letting teachers do what they do. Um, yeah, not going back to the original politics of what we started the show with, because frankly, I mean, you and I are interested in them, but not in terms of technology, we're not. What the real and larger issue seems to be, and why we wanted to come back and do part two of this, is there are these core technologies that Christopher just mentioned. You just did a great job mentioning them. If we could focus a little bit more on these technologies and how they could be utilized and actually deploying them, and not worry as much about what the legislation is or what the number of tests per year are or so on and so forth then maybe we couldn't uh, or maybe we wouldn't be stuck in this quagmire of our educational system is broken and how do we fix it the answer is right in front of us so christopher i thank you for joining me today i think you've done an excellent job of one introducing the technologies that are important moving forward and 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 uh, perfect job because you know we didn't repeat the list from before these are new technologies uh for the most part that are really crucial in the next 10 20 years in our education system and what that means is that those technologies are absolutely crucial in 20 to 30 years throughout the entirety of our economy and i think that's a good place to end today
1: my pleasure as always and i look forward to be back here soon
0: Alright, um, who wants to be on the soapbox next time, you or me?
1: Um, well, we, we can go at you next time, I, I've done a lot of stuff. I like ranting,
0: together. I'm more of a rant guy. Yeah, that's
1: true. Guy. Yeah, you don't stand still, so you can't really use a soapbox. So you, you need
0: to be pacing. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, and so everyone out there, if you want to contact us, feedback at multinewmedia.com. As always, go to multinewmedia.com and check out the page for this particular episode. There is a comment section at the bottom of that page. The show may be ending, but the conversation is just beginning. So, hey, either let us have it or tell us a boy, or add your own two cents. And uh, again, we don't want to dominate this conversation. This is just the kickoff, and we, uh, we look forward to hearing from you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.